I take it this is live and unrestricted, all right. Uh, all right, people, all right. Let me just, un momento, un momento. Uh, just one moment, people. Just trying to... <laughs> I'm just pressing this button and it's I've been pressing it a few times and ah oh, god right in alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulih al-mustafa wa ala ibadi al-ladhin artada wa man bi hudam ihtada wa bi athari ahl al-madinah tiqtafa wa ba'd fa salamullahi ala al-qawm ahlan wa sahlan bikum wa marhaban Juan Ying Leitzer, bienvenidos a todos. Pacher Ragele, Hushamadid, and Swagatam people, Swagatam. Ahlan wa sahlan bikum. It's been a little while. I've taken a little break. <laughs> Thought I'd put people at some ease. <laughs> so. All right, so, all right, what is going on? Um, when are you doing some more drop-ins at the Ark? I will be doing that uh, soon, inshallah. Um, let me just put this on silent. That's better. Um, Right, so I will be doing some uh, drop-ins at the Ark. Just I've been, uh, I had actually arranged one just before Eid and then got a bit distracted. And I thought the sh it was too short notice. Um, so then I just thought, ah, oh, what the hell. Shall I let people enjoy their Eid afterwards? <laughs> and first, and since Allahu Akbar, first of all, a very belated and a very delayed Eid Mubarak to each and all. I hope uh, you guys have had an awesome time. 
and we've got a few people on Ahlan Bik from New York Ali Muhammad Shukran Ahlan wa Sahlan Bik Imran Khan Alright Come to NYC We'll take you to all the best spots Well <laughs> Inshallah Let's see Let's see Right Somebody said Can you do a session about Hizbut Tahrir Usul Hizbut Tahrir <laughs> Do they have Usul <laughs> Hizbut Tahrir is not really, there's not much to say apart from, well, it's just a joke with a very poor punchline. <laughs> ah, well, somebody, when we're going for food, inshallah, uh, of course, of course, Hamas, Sal, and I want to come. You're most welcome, you're most welcome. You know, the just reach out and we'll set it up. Wasif. Vancouver, shukran, shukran. Guys, there's a, a lot to go over for tonight. There's quite a few things, um, which will include as well. I will be presenting a response to Sheikh uh, Yasser uh, Qadi G. Our beloved, our beloved Sheikh Yasser Qadi. Now, I, I hear that a few, I had, Somebody sent me a video clip of his, so I'm not sure if it's part of a greater clip, but it was just a short clip titled A Mufti and a Guide, or A Guide and a Mufti, something like this. And it's where he speaks about reason, the voice of reason. And it appears, it appears that he may be it may be a, this is what I, I got the impression and that's what the person who sent it to me as well was of the impression that it may be an indirect kind of um, response to me or my position on the voice of reason. Although the, the, the Mufti in his parable is not, he's not referring to me. Uh, but that's something I'd like to address because I think it's very important. Uh, since our Sheikh Yasser Qadi Sahib, <laughs> it would be rude for of us not to address it. Allah, Allah, Allah. So there's um, there's that to look at. There's um, there is those of you that are familiar with uh, Asadullah Al Andalusi. This been somewhat of a uh, a back and forth online between Asadullah Andalusi and me. So I'll be addressing a bit of that where he it began what what's the context to it, but it kind of ended on this point to do with the age of Aisha Radiallahu Anha and the usual the usual where they um, try to promote this view that Aisha was just a child and the Prophet married a child, which is obviously utter nonsense. And I'll come to addressing that a little later on in addressing Asadullah al-Andalusi. These converts, these converts cause so much trouble sometimes. <laughs> you know, no sooner do they enter the faith that they start teaching it to us. <laughs> Achha, <laughs> hamari cat or hum pe attack. 
<laughs> it's like so this is uh so we have to address some of these issues set some of these people uh straight <laughs> so there's that to take a look at there's been so many oh so i've been doing so much research of my own god it seems like a lifetime has uh has been by somebody said asad is pretty cool not from my understanding <laughs> if he was cool <laughs> i wouldn't be addressing him like that <laughs> uh from my understanding asad is another nutcase uh, radical kind of preacher who i think uh may have kind of come away a bit from he was a hardline wahabi from what i take it but i think he may have changed some of his some of his perception but not much i think maybe just his outward perception so he shaved the long beard and done all of that but i think his views are still very in line with the <laughs> boot licking the wahabi <laughs> narrative that is out there so i will i will take a look at that uh right so let's see some other questions that have been going on somebody said please answer please answer <laughs> what's the question doesn't matter just answer just answer god damn it take sabran 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 salam from denmark ishak marki power all right all right school of medina long live right so i'll come to all of uh, that later on somebody said what is a wahhabi it's not just wahhabi but it's a, a a kind of certain mindset which is usually a very dogmatic uh exclusivist and hardline right wing borderline fascist mindset <laughs> which is usually uh part and parcel of the wahhabi movement the salafi movement but it doesn't mean necessarily all salafis have to be like that but it hard entrenched in their movement and then has also spilled over into other so people don't have to be necessarily like that but have a very dogmatic mindset but we'll come to that we'll come to that what else is going on what's bothering mi gente my social media people my facebook family those of you that uh, i've also got this live on youtube all right people so uh, whichever one you're on facebook or youtube like share spread spread the love people spread it spread the fitan and fasad <laughs> right can you share a few ashar of yours my ashar i bandana cheese where would i get ashar from i just simply do nakal of the great you know the great people who who've been asked to recite something when ghalib said kuch to padhiye ke log kehte hain aaj ghalib ghazal sarana hua allah allah he says that you read something otherwise people will say today ghalib he didn't <laughs> he never read anything yaar <laughs> one of my heroes that's 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 what ah that's some other thoughts i want to know do you know about mufti sound stage 
I don't know what Mufti soundstage is. Okay. Right, so who is Ghalib? Ghalib is the legend, the dawn of Urdu poetry. One of my heroes, right? So those of you who do understand Urdu Hindi, you should definitely uh, check out some Ghalib. And those of you who don't, then you should learn. <laughs> what else are you doing in this world? Learn some poetry, people. Awais Hazan is still asking, do you know about Mufti Soundstage? Abe yaar, I don't know what Mufti Soundstage is. Hame shama Prabhu. Lo siento, hermano, lo siento. I don't know what that is. Right, so... Somebody asked, divorced, fiqh, rights of children, interaction... Mustaqim said, thanks for the birthday message. No problem. No problem. No problem. See, I always feel that when you go, when you're on social media, if you're passing some, something on your newsfeed, if you're coming across something, you should always say a kind word. I, I believe that. If, you, if somebody's going through some difficulty, try and say a, a nice little dua for them. If somebody has passed away, try and offer a little, you know, some condolence. If it's somebody's birthday, then, or if it's somebody, it doesn't have to be a birthday, it could be a happy occasion, try and wish them well, and nothing, you know, it doesn't, you don't lack anything, you don't lose anything by extending some kind words. And I, I try to do that, I try to make a habit of doing that. So I try to, if I see anybody posting anything, you know, of reasonable, I would try and like it, try and, Share some positivity, people. Share some positivity. Um, somebody said, isn't birthday celebrating a bid'ah? Of course it isn't. Celebrating birthdays is not a bid'ah, people. Allah is, the religion Islam is not about micromanaging people. Okay, it's not something which Allah has sent to micromanage us on our tiny uh micro in our microcosms if you like in trying to what do you do with this what do you do with that but some people have turned the religion into that islam has immense freedoms okay it just lets you be it lets you be right let i take it we're back all right i'm sorry if the connection kind of plays up a bit i've i'm just fed up with goddamn virgin media honestly so fed up with them now i they they got me to leave bt where i was fine and they tried to they offered me all these things and and now this is playing up i'm just so fed up i'm gonna switch back now <laughs> people are a con i'm telling you they're an absolute con they're a nightmare to get through to i tried to call them i literally i think they must have had me on, <laughs> they had me on uh, of uh, the music, just waiting on, on wait. And I was, I must have got ready, had my, taken a shower, had my food, got my food ready, had my food and everything. And then <laughs> they respond. Anyway, right, let's move on. Um, right, okay, so. Politics, first of all, some serious talk. India, what is going on? Right. This thing about Kashmir. Uh, 
Right, those of you that don't know, Kashmir recently has come back in the news. Um, India has revoked an article which they had, which was Article 370. And it basically, because in because Kashmir is a disputed territory, um, it had certain... There was an article that protected its land and territory, so non-Kashmiris couldn't go in there and buy up all the land. And they've revoked that. So now that in and of itself, personally, I think, I mean, I don't know how big of a deal that is in and of itself. One could argue that that's a national issue to do with the politics of a country and other people shouldn't really get a say. And I could, to some extent, agree with that. Um, I could see that, look, a country, a sovereign state has its own rights and people have always been because the, the politics behind why they're doing this is to degentrify, to kind of dilute the population of Kashmir. So they want to kind of move people in, forced settlements. I mean, not forced, but open it up so people will buy it up and, and they'll kind of dilute the population within a few generations. Now, to some extent, that has been going on throughout human history throughout the world. So that in and of itself, I'm sure is problematic, but to what scale can be argued by people. But the greater issue is that, you see, it's not just that. It's the oppression that is being carried out, the atrocities. The So when they announced this, the Indian government, they dispatched another, I think, 38,000 soldiers to the existing, I think, 100,000 at least soldiers they have uh, that are uh, stationed within, um, you know, within Jammu Kashmir. So the Indian occupied Kashmir. And, and the whole place is just a living hell. So in the last few weeks, they've completely cut off all communication, cut off power sources, electric, you know, whatever kind of media outlets that you have. I believe that they've even uh, disengaged um, all phone networks and things like this. They've stopped supplies being brought in. They've stopped people from allowing them to leave. They've. It's just been, from what I hear, an absolute nightmare for the people that are living there. Sorry, not somebody said it's not 100k, it's over 700k, 700,000 troops they have there. That may well be the case. I apologize if I uh, understated that. But it's a highly, highly militarized zone. It is not, I mean, natural isn't even the word. It's a living hellhole uh, in what is a perceptible paradise on Earth. And, you know, because when you get that many soldiers and then you have this rhetoric that these people are different, they're a different race, they're a different faith, they, you know, you have this narrative or they're the enemy, us versus them. And then there's obviously targeting going on, targeting the young men, which naturally those people will get angry. And then in retaliation, they will just kill them or they will imprison them or, or uh, mutilate them, blind them. And things like this. And with women, they'll usually just harass the women, rape the women, kill the women, uh, molest them. I mean, these kind of things have become, unfortunately, a norm. That's, that's how tragic 
the situation is in Kashmir. And and I know Pakistan, it's kind of gone back and forth, some of the things. I don't know what a possible solution could be because, you know, now it is being brought to more, I mean, it's the attention in front of the international community has become heightened and more people are taking a certain interest in Kashmir. I do hope that, you know, may Allah grant them ease. I would hope that at least if India could allow and Pakistan at least a certain part of both Kashmir's to kind of merge and become an independent state, that would be, I think, the best possible outcome. Um, but Pakistan would have to withdraw from South Kashmir and they would have to withdraw. I'll be honest, you're kind of lost for words because you see all this and you think, well, you just because you're helpless. It's just a tragedy, honestly. So I had to. I wanted to share some words on, on that. And and then India as a whole, there's um, it's being plunged into this far right fanatic state of mind. I don't really understand what's why people are going that way but th there seems to be this sentiment around the world in a few different countries like in america the rise of trump and the far right um and you're getting that in certain countries i mean certain countries like even germany and you know there was i mean even across some parts of europe this rise of the far right um we're, we're seeing that or we've seen it in the uk with brexit and in India, it seems to have just really plunged itself into an abyss because there seems to be all this propaganda that Muslims are taking over. And Muslims are not taking over India. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Muslims have always been a part and parcel of India. They've probably constituted maybe 20% of India, maybe 25%, but that's it. And there seems to be this, this fear-mongering that oh my god they marry four or five wives and they just keep producing children and children and i've seen these these kind of uh politicians saying these indian politicians that in 20 years muslims will become the majority in india and they're going to take over and this is going to become another muslim country this is going to become syria yemen this is going to become iraq and all this kind of scaremongering has been really it's taken the indian a lot of the indian public and i think india is it's a shame because it's just becoming ruined i saw some videos which i wish i didn't see honestly i saw some on uh, being shared some viral clips the torture and just the bullying the oppression the attacking muslims in just random places like on a bus on on a train on the street just random people just happen to you know that maybe you could they could tell that this person was a muslim just beating him up uh beating up the people accusing them of eating beef attacking them and i saw this one clip that i just could not see i just stopped it i just turned away there was a, a horrific clip where they had this muslim and they cut off his tongue and you know it said on there that they that they made him eat it afterwards and i mean i didn't watch the, the i i when i saw i don't know what it was first and when i saw it and they i saw these people doing it, it really it 
I, I, I won't lie. I was traum it traumatized me just seeing that. And I couldn't, like, where has this hate come from? How do people, how do you, I don't know, sink so low it, with such raw emotions to find this kind of hatred? I mean, wow, I, I, honestly, I'm, it, it hurts you to, to, to see this, to just know that this is going on. And I swear, seriously, by Allah, if regardless of the people being Muslim, if they were Hindu that that was happening to, it would hurt me just as much, regardless of them being Muslim. Obviously, the fact that they're being targeted just for simply being Muslim uh, is obviously that that strikes a chord with me because I'm Muslim. Uh, but this is on a human level, I'm saying. How can people sink so low to torture people, to kind of mutilate them, to simply because they follow a different faith? I mean, what is different between those Hindus and, uh, sorry, between the, those Hindus and those Indian Muslims? Seriously, ethnically, what is different? They're the same people. Not very, they're not a, you know, they, they're not a migrant community that have moved in. This, these are those people. But it's, it's, it's shocking. And what the, the Modi government is doing, spreading this kind of hatred, fueling it, allowing it to persist. They're just destroying a, what is seriously a magnificent country, India. They've just destroyed it and just let it kind of just wither into this kind of festation of of a sickened state it's just it's it's sad honestly i um i know some people said look it's been happening since 1947 and i think but recently there seems to be this kind of rise in this in this negative sentiment and yeah salam may allah make things easy um seriously i i just don't I don't get where this hatred comes from, where people, I get the fact that you get annoyed with people, I get the fact that you, and that happens with everybody, but this much hatred, I, I just, it's sad, honestly, and it's sad for the people who carry this hatred, that what kind of a miserable existence do they have? But yeah, may, may Allah, you know, grant ease to each and all. Each and all. I mean, right. Somebody said, is India really that magnificent? In its potential, yes. I mean, it's an amazing... I personally love India as a, as a country. I would love to visit it if it wasn't for this kind of uh, nutcase, <laughs> kind of viral uh, malevolence that is found there. But it is a magnificent country. I mean, there's no denying that. But it's unfortunately a country that seems to be losing radiance. Yes, yeah, so um, somebody said, what do you think of the Battle of India? That's actually a very good point. Thank you for uh, Sayyid Mia for reminding me. You know, people, I want to say something. Look, you know this Ghazwatul Hind. Ghazwatul Hind is inauthentic. There is no such thing, people. This hadith 
is made up. I'm telling you, there is no such thing as Ghazwatul Hind. Okay. We need to get off this kind of, uh, you know, the battle, the great battle of India that is to come. And this fuels the kind of hatred that we are seeing right now in India. Seriously, this, because people, there are unfortunately cancerous elements out there that use this kind of stuff. And many Muslims fall victim to this propaganda of Ghazwatul Hind, the Dajjal, and the goddamn all this. This is a fabrication, people. These hadith were fabricated during the time of Bani Umayyah, of the Umayyah dynasty, when they expanded into, into India. This The Prophet never spoke of India. Behave. I mean, just think about it. This is... People impose so many things on the Prophet. It's ridiculous that if the Prophet was to speak of India, he was to speak of a war with India. I mean, what is wrong with people? And seriously, this is like even, you know, this whole TV series that you've got, very popular, Sacred Games, and part two, the season of it, it's focusing, even though it does show other elements and greater dynamics of, of politics at play, but... This whole Ghazwatul Hind and a nuclear threat and really this Hindu-Muslim rivalry and Muslims kind of preaching this jihadi thing about Ghazwatul Hind, Ghazwatul Hind. This is a fabricated hadith, people. There is no such Ghazwa to happen. Okay, there is no battle of India. Please, please, please stop this nonsense. Okay, so... Right. So I hope that uh, that's so I'm really grateful for somebody for reminding me uh, of that point. But I mean, you know, there, there are many good, you know, I don't want to just sound because somebody had asked me, look, do you really believe the country is magnificent? I don't want to sound like there there's no good elements in India. There are many uh, positive people who aren't Muslim and they are great human beings. There was a story of just recently, I believe last week, there was a um, a Sikh uh, by the name of, I think his name was Harminder Singh, who really went out of his way to help. I think he helped something like 30 odd Kashmiri girls who were trapped in a particular thing to safety and, and you know, potentially risking his own life. Uh, you you get many stories and you'll get many activists who will condemn all these atrocities. So don't get me, I don't want to get it twisted in saying that, look, there's no, there's many great people who do speak up for the, the voice of justice. And, you know, God bless them. That's what I'd say. What if Ghazwatul Hind is real and it happens? <laughs> get a life. Ghazwatul Hind is, the only way these things are going to happen is what, People keep, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You keep pushing it and then you trigger the people so much and then you get this, what you're having right now. You know, fear-mongering and then people will just turn in on the Muslims and they will just massacre them. And that that's what's going to happen. That is what is happening. You know, otherwise Hinduism, it has always been a religion of peace. 
Hinduism is a religion to do with nature. They have ahimsa, ahimsa. They have like the concept of non-violence. They have the concept of being at one with the earth. They have, they were always a religion of tolerance. But you get people that preach this kind of, oh, ghazwatul hind, ghazwatul hind. And, and then you, you tick off that many people. And then that's what happens. You see, you're going to get this kind of stuff. And I'm not blaming it just, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is just those Muslims, those people to blame, those kind of fanatics. But what I'm saying is don't add fuel to the fire. That's, you know, don't add, don't kind of exacerbate the circumstances. So that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so I really wanted to, to, to say that. On that note, somebody had sent me on a slightly lighter note, <laughs> but linked to India. Uh, somebody sent me the clip of uh, Priyanka Chopra and they said, well, Mufti, can you speak about this? Can you speak about... So Priyanka Chopra, gee, those of you that don't know Priyanka Chopra, Bollywood star, former Miss World. <laughs> Any Miss World has always... Be followed with so many du'as. <laughs> right, so so she she is asked in some interview, I think it was an interview or an event, whatever it is, but she some um I don't know if it's a heckler or somebody in the crowd says to her, Look, we support you on so many things, you have so many Pakistani fans. How is it that you don't condemn what's going on right now in India? And she gave this response where she said, look, she's a patriot of India. Adish, but, all right. So people were quite infuriated that, oh my God, how dare Priyanka Chopraji say. <laughs> you see, well, first of all, <laughs> somebody said a Pakistani sister. She's not Pakistani. I mean, she's, oh, you meant the... The person who asked was a Pakistani woman. That's correct. Yes, she was. Uh, somebody said she doesn't look like Miss World. Oh, toba, 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 toba. Are we? Are, are you blaspheming? <laughs> like I said, I mean, anybody who's attained that status, it's it's almost a blasphemy to kind of criticize them. <laughs> but chalo, in for for the for the voice of justice uh, we will take this campaign even if it's against a former this world ah <laughs> oh, well <laughs> so you know what it's it's because we have to after all how are we going to be answerable on the <laughs> if we criticize <laughs> if we see the right you have to understand that you know, in India, people are not actually that free. You might think that these people are celebrities and these people are, you know, they're incredibly rich, which they are incredibly, maybe in some ways powerful because of the money, the popularity that they, uh, that that yields. But they don't actually have a voice on these kind of matters. You don't... Um, you don't understand how ruthless the the far right Hindu nationals are. They will make their lives a living hell. 
So if any Muslim in India, let's say you have these great superstars like Shah Rukh Khan, Salman Khan, Amir Khan, these kind of great Muslim uh, celebrities of India, if they were to question anything on politics linked to, let's say, Hindu interests or anything like this, they would immediately be told to to get lost to Pakistan immediately. It doesn't matter who they are and they will shut down their movies, burn down their uh, promotion events. They will seriously lock off their events. And this is not a, a joke. I'm not over exaggerating. There was those of you who remember this. There's a movie, a Bollywood movie called uh, Padmavat. And it was had uh, Rambir Singh in it and and it was to do with Alauddin Khilji, a historical figure. It was very dramatized and it wasn't actually based on uh, that much accuracy of history. But it's about a Muslim sultan in the past who kind of takes over a huge part of India. And he becomes obsessed with the beauty of this woman called Padmavati. Now, the thing is that this woman, this some people say that this whole thing is fictitious and didn't even really exist. But nevertheless... Bef according to this narration, before he can obtain her, she commits suicide. She kind of burns herself to death as an act of honor. So in this movie, which is which is made by non-Muslims, this movie is made by Hindus. It's enacted by Hindus. So you've got Ranbir, you've got the, the female actress was Deepika, who's a very popular Bollywood actress. She's not a Muslim. She's a Hindu. So. There was allegedly it was leaked that there is a scene in this movie before it was released that there was a scene in a that there was a song and in that song this guy Ranbir who's playing Khilji Alauddin Khilji is being very intimate with uh, Deepika who's playing this Padmavati this 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 princess Indian princess. Now, this is meant to be in a dream, like, so they're having some dream and there's some intim intimacy. Now, nobody's seen this because this was never released, but a rumor was leaked. Now, not only did the right-wing Indian movements ban this movie, they, they blocked it from being released. They burnt down the, the kind of cinema promotions and things like this. They actually put a price on Deepika, this actress, they put a price on her head. Like, I don't know how many uh, hundred thousands, whatever, will be given as a reward to anybody who brings her head. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? She, like, first of all, I don't know whether this scene existed in this movie, but even if it did, it's a movie for God's sake. And she's just the actress. But they said that how dare you play an Indian princess who kind of becomes intimate with this Muslim sultan of the past, that we want your head. <laughs> That's how crazy some of these people are. So she actually was living in, I think, immense fear for something like about a year. Then they had to re... They had to edit that movie they had to change the title of the movie and then they got it released a year later so i think when people say things like priyanka chopra or these people why are they not critical 
the truth is neither would you be neither would i be <laughs> you know if you lived in india you don't have a voice when it comes to politics you can just speak about good things but you can't really criticize anything it's become a bit of a a kind of a totalitarian state unfortunately so um so yeah so Frody Frobbery said she can have my head in replace. <laughs> I'm not so sure your head on Deepika would look just as good. <laughs> right. So that's uh, so that's some of these things. So. So, I mean, freedoms are something we take for granted, actually, especially in this part of the world. And it just goes to show what an amazing gift it is to be able to speak your mind. Allah. May God preserve our rights of freedom. Amen. Amen. Right. Those of you just tuning in, click like, click share, people. Spread the love. Get this out there. Right. What else is going on, people? What else? What questions are we dealing with? What? Um, let me just bring this up. Um, right. So. Right, uh, we've got <laughs> somebody asked a question. All right, Muftis. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, <laughs> sorry, people. Uh, I was trying to read and I flipped the screen. Luckily, there were only books behind the screen. <laughs> God damn. Uh, how haram is drinking alcohol? <laughs> On a scale of, mm, you, know, uh, you know, this this haram you know, maybe ain't as, as bad as people are thinking. <laughs> uh, right, so we've got Omar. Bilal Hassam, Ahlan wa Sahlan, Ahlan wa Sahlan, Marhaban Bik. Right, somebody my YouTube thing might be playing up. People just bear with it. I am going to get I've had you see, it's the internet companies, they just they're ripping me off, people. They're ripping me off. <laughs> I'm gonna get the whole thing redone. Right, so let's tackle a question that is immensely important. Okay, so it is to do with this hadith and the Quran. Okay. I've had quite a few people say to me that, you see, you problematize Sahil Bukhari, which I do. I don't say throw Sahil Bukhari away, but I say treat it like any other book of hadith. And so each hadith must be judged upon its own merits if it contradicts. If it clashes, it doesn't go against reason. It does not clash with the Quran or the living tradition. And it does not uproot an Islamic principle, then we will accept it. So that's my point. I believe that we need to scrutinize the matan, the much more than we have been doing, the actual content of a hadith. Now, some people have said, well, because you claim there's systemic issues with some of the hadith that have been transmitted, um, 
why can't you say that about the Quran? Now, and I've been sent a few different videos by different people saying this, by the way. So I was sent a video by uh, a scholar who usually, I, I, I mean, I find his stuff usually quite amusing and good. Um, it's his, I believe his name is Maulana, or it may be Mufti, Manzoor Mengal uh, from Pakistan, where he's got a, a, a clip where he's speaking about, where he says, Ruatul Qur'ani, sorry, Ruatul Hadith, Hum Ruat Qur'an, where he says that the people who transmitted the Hadith are the people who transmitted the Qur'an. So if you are going to weaken Hadith, then thereby you have weakened Qur'an. This is the argument. Uh, somebody sent me a clip by Dawaman saying the same thing, which really, that <laughs> Dawaman is not a scholar, so it's not, that's not even uh, relevant, but, some, but it's the same argument. And we've heard quite a few other scholars saying this. I've heard a few scholars saying this. Now, so I want to address this point. You see, anybody who says this, people, First of all, there's, there's, there's a few important points to make. One is that these people have not truly understood how the Qur'an was transmitted. Okay, these people who are saying this, they have just been institutionalized. And they don't realize, they haven't deeply actually fathomed how the Qur'an and how Islam and its tradition was transmitted. And I will go through that in just a moment. Secondly, I feel that it's such a shame, such a shame that these people feel that they can strong arm somebody uh, who questions, who questions the authenticity of certain hadith based on sound reason by throwing the Quran under the bus. That I find that to be such an act of cowardice that where you could not substantiate those particular hadith that are being questioned or you are being presented by a narrative of realism that look you thereby your only response is to throw the entire quran under the bus in an attempt to save bukhari i mean that is the most uh, I find despicable and cowardly act done by Muslim scholars who truly lack an understanding of how this tradition was transmitted. Okay, so so I'd like to clarify. Um, I'd like to expand. Allow me to elucidate. <laughs> expand. <laughs> elucidate. <laughs> See, if I don't use these words, people say, Yaar, ye mufti kuch nahi. <laughs> People will accuse me of not even being educated. <laughs> so one must resort to an expansive <laughs> reply. So, right. So, okay. So let's take a look at how was, <laughs> how was the Quran transmitted? How was the Quran transmitted? So people, Islam, when the Prophet lived amongst people and the companions after him, there was a living tradition of Islam. If we can call that a living tradition, 
Okay, living tradition is what people will just teach. Parents will teach their children. They will be, it will just become a kind of folk practice. It will just permeate through communities and societies. It is part and parcel of the living tradition. Now, the Quran was transmitted en masse. Like people, you know, they just taught it. They taught it to their children. They taught it to their neighbors. They taught it to their friends. People conveyed the message of Allah. I would read the Quran in my daily prayers. I would teach it to my children. I might sometimes have a discussion on it. This was just the natural living practice that people were passing on the Quran one could say from father to child okay it's not an institutionalization bit it was just a natural tradition the other thing is and this is something nobody would really deny that muslims were doing this i mean even non-muslim historians they acknowledge that yes muslims they had this scripture they had this thing called the quran secondly the quran by its nature ontologically by its essence okay is a quran it's a recitation it's a recital of something it's not it's not prose it's not something like here's a book right it's not a book like you just read like i'm just reading this book it was a recitation which meant it had a rhythmic essence to it so people would recite and we know that the quran was preserved by memory so people would recite the quran they would read it in in their salah they would re read it in during ramadan in taraweeh it was being conveyed it was just being taught and this is how it permeates through the communities it was just part and parcel of the living tradition of Islam. Now, we have to pause that there. Pause. Pause it, people. Pause it. Now, we're going to come to this question. People who corrupt a message. Right? So, when people decide to interpolate, when people decide to add, to fabricate, to manufacture a message there may be many motivations behind this many motivations amongst them for example they could be good they could be beneficent believe it or not they could be kind of like uh kind-hearted motivation so people think uh, i know i'm going to invent a teaching i think more muslims should do hajj for example so i'm going to invent something about the benefits for Hajj. And be believe it or not, people have done this. <laughs> it's like some of them used to say that we don't fabricate against the Prophet, we fabricate for the Prophet. <laughs> we don't lie against him, we lie for him. <laughs> yeah, one to go for this. This one, not nice, my friend. So this is what some people were doing, right? So they were, so there's many reasons why people fabricate things. They bring things in. It could be that there's misunderstandings. They could be false memories. So these are all kind or benevolent 
kind of uh, uh, non-harm. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but let's say if we call them, you know, kind-hearted kind of manufacturing of of uh, Islamic teachings. It could be because people have got good intention. It could be because it's a false memory. A person actually thinks, oh, yeah, wasn't this also part of the teaching? And he gets it wrong. That could be. Then there could be negative, you know, like malignant kind of intentions, bad intentions, where people are, they want to corrupt a faith. They want to kind of mess it up for people. Or they want people, so that could be one reason, they want to corrupt the faith. They want to, or that they have a personal vested interest. So somebody wants, right, okay, I take it, we're back. Okay, so I apologize for the disconnect, disconnect there, we're back. So there were people who invented hadith to say that, who invented teachings to say anybody who eats the aubergine uh, plant has, will have such and such a reward. You know, the bingen, <laughs> the merits of the bingen. <laughs> but this is, uh, so sometimes there's a vested interest. Sometimes there's political interests. So people sectarian. So there's a lot of teachings that were fabricated to uh, to create an uprising against the state, against the Umayyad dynasty, for example, which a lot of the Shia people did. And hence, they really push the whole messianic vision that there will be a messiah that will come and a Mahdi will come and all these things. And then there were a lot of teachings fabricated to consolidate the state. So the Umayyad dynasty came up with a lot of rulings that would help them. Like when they wanted to take over India, it's, it's very convenient that all of a sudden there's a hadith that the prophet said, oh, the great battle of India. So these things were just teachings of convenience. So there's a lot of reasons why people fabricate something. So now this is important that we clarified that. Now let's just pause that for a moment. Let's come back to come back to the working working board here, people. What is the problem? I ask you, what is the problem or the challenge is a better word? with trying to push your false teachings into the Qur'an. What do you think would be the problem? If, if you were a person, pretend you were a person who is intentionally, because if we take the, the, the worst case scenario first, we can deal with the other cases by extension easily. So those people who are intentionally premeditating a, an attempt to corrupt the faith, they want to mess up the teachings of Islam. What would be your challenges if you were trying to add verses into the Quran? You know very well that that would not fly. It would be so difficult. Why? Number of reasons. One, the Quran is so widespread. People are reciting it all the time. So if I wanted to, I don't know, say... Um, <coughs> add a ruling into the Qur'an. I have to match the entire context of the Qur'an. So let's say I wanted to invent some hadith to support the state of Bani Umayyah, the Umayyad dynasty. Now, I can't just add a verse of the Qur'an saying, 
hey, and there will be a great dynasty called Bani Umayyah. Because the Qur'an, it's not its style to speak like that. So this becomes very difficult. The other thing is the Qur'an does not often delve into tiny issues. It seems to have a very universal approach. It's speaking about things universally. And fabricating a universal is very meaningless. You know, if I want to fabricate a universal ruling, the problem is so many people read the Qur'an in different parts of the world. Uh, all these people read it. It's part and parcel of the tradition. I have to then make sure this thing matches the exact style. It matches the context. It doesn't go against the overall message of the Qur'an. So some people did try this with the satanic verses. And it flopped. Why did it flop? Because it clashed with the overall uh, message and people spotted it as a contradiction. And So the... The return on investment here is very little. It's not worth trying to corrupt the Quran in that, in that, you know, with that in mind, because you're not going to get much back out of it. Okay. This, however, is not the same with Hadith. The Hadith don't have a context. The Hadith were not being taught from father to child. They were not part of this living tradition unless... So, you know, maybe a one-off story may have been, but hadith weren't. Hadith start to get documented almost a hundred years after the Prophet. By that time, many false hadith are in circulation. For me to make up a hadith, all I have to say is the Prophet said, uh, whosoever doesn't watch Monday nights with Mufti has lost out on a great big fortune. For example, that's it. Trying to add that in the Quran is impossible. Next to impossible. Why? Because one, the Quran doesn't talk about things like this in general, so people will spot it. Two, I have to match the rhythm, the nazam, the, the flow of the Quran. I have to choose a particular surah to add it into. Then people are all reciting that surah in different parts of the world. It wouldn't really fly. So, this is why people did not corrupt the Qur'an in that way. It wasn't, it wasn't a project that they could see a return on investment in. So when people say, ah, but if you problematize hadith, then you by default problematize the Qur'an. No, you don't at all. The Qur'an was never transmitted through a soul transmitter. It was just taught en masse. That's it. Now, yes, when the Hadith culture t takes off, the Hadith project becomes so powerful that it has it pours into many other aspects of Muslim tradition. So the way in Hadith you have a chain. So this chain and everything started to get documented over a hundred years after the Prophet. So when Hadith were first documented in the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, Hadith, the chains weren't being documented but then within a decade or two after him people start to document the chains and then they start to say well that person we're not so sure if he's reliable or that person and that person. and they did a great job of trying to scrutinize the chains but it's not infallible okay so it's still susceptible to error
it's prone to error. It still does have some mistakes. That's why whenever a hadith clashes with the Quran or clashes with the principles of Islam, we abandon that hadith because there's no way it could have clashed um, with this. Now, later on, this hadith project becomes so fashionable that people start to have chains in everything. You see, it becomes the thing. It's not like, it's like, like I give you an example. You know, Snapchat, for example, has stories, had stories, which were so, the stories that you have, the 24 hours, probably have a story. So my, everybody just takes up something that starts to really take off. Now, in similar way, once the Hadith project became a dominating project, which it did, you see everybody, even if you're learning Arabic grammar, which has got nothing, think about it. What has Arabic grammar got to do with the chain of transmission? But all of a sudden, they too now have chains of transmission. Oh, I took this from my teacher, who took it from Farah, who took it from Kasai, who took it from... I mean, it's nothing to do with, you know, who cares? It's grammar. But no, we're going to have a chain of transmission in it. Oh, where did you learn this from? I learned it from here. Where did you learn this poetry from? I took it from him, took it from him, who took it from this uh, Imam Shafi'i's poem. So this chain of transmission, Isnad, just as a superfluous event, not as something carrying actual meaning, as a trend, it trickles into all other sciences, which were just normal teaching normal thing and some were part of the living tradition so fiqh for example people say well if you don't have hadith how do you know how to pray because it was part of the living tradition see the living tradition predates the documentation of fiqh it was just what the, the parents taught their children and it was part and parcel of the muslim community so this fiqh now, all of a sudden, people start to have a chain in it. Oh, where did you get it from? I got it from him who got it from him. Oh, wow, I like this chain. Don't get me, and don't get it. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I like this as a, as a kind of, um, as a decor, something decorative of our legacy. I like it too. I obtained recently, in the last few years, a chain of transmission in, in fiqh. Even though fiqh is really, the chain doesn't mean really anything, but it's it's nice, it's a collector's item <laughs> to people who are part and parcel of this tradition. So what started to happen is the Quran too, people started to transmit in chains. Kind of right. So the, I don't know why this is happening, just bear with me people. But so some people naively thought that because the Quran has a chain as well now, oh, so it must have been taught only through chain, the way Hadith was taught. That is a mistake on their part. That's like saying because Arabic grammar had a chain, everybody who ever knew Arabic grammar knew it because he must have studied it all through this one guy bought it through a chain that's ridiculous so i hope that sheds some clarity on this uh 
on this kind of fallacy that the way hadith was transmitted is how the Quran was transmitted. It was not. The, the Quran was transmitted as part of the living tradition, was transmitted en masse. Hadith was transmitted uh, as, a tea, as an institution. So people sat down and taught it. Okay. So cool. So I hope that explains that. I, I did feel that that was very important to kind of cover. Let's uh, let's move on, people. What else are we looking at? What's going on? What is going on? So could the 124,000 prophets include prophets from the other worlds other than Earth? <laughs> what other worlds are you aware of where people... <laughs> inhabited by people <laughs> so i mean i've got no idea um, is the zahiri madhab more suitable for the west than the school of medina no i don't think so i think the school of medina is pretty awesome so that's <laughs> but madhabs you see really in all honesty our fiqh is so out of sync with our age we need to resync everything there's Certain things that are fine, but that's a small percentage. We need to resync the whole. Seriously, we need to we need to do that. Okay, what else has been going on, people? What else has been going on? Your opinion on whosoever swears on anything other than Allah has committed shirk. You see, there is a hadith that man halafa bi faqad ashrak. Um, but this. It depends, it depends. If it's done in that religious way, then it falls under kind of shirk, like falls under um, not really having, you know, having that true faith in God. But most people who do this won't do this under a, a religious kind of banner. Like they might just say, so for example, people say things just out of cultural norms. Like they might say things like, I swear on my life. Now, they, they say that because they've heard that so often. And, and it just becomes an extension of a public, um, you know, usage. I don't, these people are not thinking when they say that, that I'm saying something of like a religious ceremonial value. So I don't believe that that's shirk when they do it. Although I wouldn't, you know, encourage that kind of culture of this kind of I swear on my, like people say, I swear on my, I don't know, if their parents have passed away, for example, I swear on my parents' grave and I swear on this and I swear on that. I don't like that kind of culture. I find it a very medieval kind of uh, way of thinking. Uh, and I discourage it. Um, and it's it's not, and that's my understanding of its status within Islam. It's not seen as a good thing. But I don't think it's shirk the way people do it. Yes, if somebody felt that, you know, this is a religious act now. I'm taking a, a holy oath. And my oath instead of on God will be, I don't know, on, on you know, I the holy planet mars for example or saturn or this kind of stuff would be then considered shirk but most people don't do it like that in fact i don't think yeah i don't think most people at all do it like that 
Um, right, so, okay, right, right, let's take some other questions, people. What else is right about the Quran? I've answered this before that I feel that scripture ref came to reflect, um, scripture came to reflect the human condition. Human beings, by their very nature, are dynamic. Human beings have and face elements of mystery in their day-to-day -day living. And scripture would reflect it would be equally dynamic. And I do believe in something which I call superpositions in the Qur'an. Uh, based on the theory of superpositions within quantum uh, physics, where particles can be at multiple positions, um, and they have an inherent unpredictability about them. Um, now, you can't actually, they're undetermined until you engage a particular particle. So in a similar way, I feel that human beings, we have an, an indeterminate stance when it comes to certain verses of the Qur'an, and based on where we are in life and what our circumstances are, that verse may give us a certain meaning. Okay, so I call these superpositions uh, within the Quran. Right, so that's um, so th that is something that I do believe in that superposition. So I don't believe um, that all verses are always locked off with certain understandings. I feel that there is some fluidity. Okay. Right, I, I know that the connection has been impacted today, so I don't really, hmm, a bit confused on what to do. Well, let's try to get through this. If there's some issues, I can, I can disconnect it and start it again, but I'm hoping you guys, uh, right, let me just send a message to, uh, I take it you guys can still see me and things like that. Right, serious question. There are some Quran followers and they have very strong arguments that Allah uh, pro hadith's video working. Right, are there is this I is it working? I think it's working now because I saw that it is rapidly kind of uh decline the whole facebook thing so i wasn't really sure if it's if it was working so i'll tell you what let's try to uh bring some of the important things in today because i know it's for some reason it's i think the the viewing is being impacted right so right let's let's take a look people at this issue as presented by Sheikh Yasser Al-Qadi, right. right? Sorry, I'm just going to send a message that is this being, can this be seen properly? Um, I just need to... Right, I'm just... Uh...
Okay, so cool. All right. So, right. So, um, right. Okay. So, right. Okay, cool. Let's take a look at Sheikh Yasser al Qadi's um, parable. <laughs> People, the parable. So, Sheikh Yasser al Qadi. Damat Barakatuhum Barakatuhu or should we say hum Al Alia Al Qadis Barakat Right so So what's happened people is Sheikh Yasir Al Qadi has uh, has kind of in one of his lectures he's given a parable on why we can't trust reason. And he calls this parable the the guide, a guide and a mufti. And in his parable, he's trying to exemplify, he's trying to illustrate that you can only use reason to find God. But once you've found God, reason must be suspended. <laughs> So that's like saying that God basically, intelligent people are fine. God doesn't mind intelligent people up until the point that they found him. <laughs> At that point, God wants them to be dumb. Right. So now, so God, basically the following of God must be a dumbed down following. You can't be a very, not a very intelligent. You know, you can, you can be intelligent, but just not very intelligent. <laughs> just in case you find a mystic. <laughs> now tell me, do these people lack confidence in God? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. Like, they used, like we used to have when, when, when I was studying in Dora Hadith. Uh, <laughs> there was one of our teachers and they would be so insecure if the students had books with commentaries in front of them. So I remember one of the teachers, uh, he saw this student who had, I used to have books with commentaries in front of me. I just, that, that's just because they were the books I bought. So I bought, let's say if we we're going to study Sahih al-Bukhari, I would have brought it with a commentary or Sahih Muslim, I would have bought it with Qadi Yad's commentary. And so I, I would have brought, you know, so brought these things. So now, so one of the teachers, he noticed that a student had a book with, with a commentary. And so he said to him, so he, whilst he's reading, um, he was trying to say to him that why on earth have you got a commentary? Is It must only be to catch my mistakes out. So if, if I go wrong, just correct me. That's what he was trying to say. And so this approach is that we can use reason, but only to help us find God. Once we found God, then being too smart, <laughs> too smart, you know. This one, this one not nice. No, 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 no. Yar, ye to bhot hi akalmande. It's like the angels will think, yar, what are we gonna do with this one? He's, yar, he's too clever. He's <laughs> gonna catch out all the mistakes. <laughs> 
Ah, I find this hilarious. So, so let's get back to uh, Yasser al-Qadi's parable. So Yasser al-Qadi's parable is that a man wants... A man turns up to a new town, a new, a new city where he is a stranger. He there finds the most reliable guide that could show him around the town. Now, he asks this guide, who is utterly reliable, he asks him that, I want you to take me to, take me to the most learned, the most wise, the most accomplished scholar that you have in this city. Take me to him. Take me to him, to this mufti. So, where else would they go? Obviously, to Mufti Abu <laughs> Not, not. That's not part of uh, Yasser Qadi's parable. So this guide, who's utterly reliable, takes this stranger to the, the you know, to this Mufti who is the most learned, most accomplished, uh, most talented, most intelligent uh, scholar there is in this entire city. Once he takes him there, this scholar starts to give answers to this person's questions. But when he begins answering, the guide then tells this person, ah, don't listen to this mufti. He's, he's actually messed up. He's making mistakes. So this stranger then says to this guide, but ah, ah. But you told me he was the most learned. So now that you've brought me to him, your job is done, my friend. <laughs> my friend, this are not nice. You know. <laughs> so this is the parable, the great parable given to us by Sheikh Yasir al-Qadi. The guide being our aql and the mufti being God. So our aql has led us to God. But now that it's led us to God, we must you know, stand back and not listen to this, um, to this voice of reason ever again, if it questions anything to do with God. So this parable, as you can imagine, has so many flaws and fallacies in it. <laughs> let's unpiece, let's unpack some of them. So look, First of all, and what, what Sheikh Yasser al-Qadi will play on here, they, he will, there is, there is a great con at play in these arguments, people. Because Sheikh Yasser al-Qadi is not the only person to say that you shouldn't be relying on, your, on the voice of reason. But there is a great con at play. And let me explain this con to you. This con, since Sheikh Yasser al-Qadi who is a subcontinental scholar from the Indian subcontinent. In the Indian subcontinent, there was a great con man, great con man once known as Natvarlal. <laughs> so Natvarlal was such a great con man, people, that he sold so many things, con people within India. He sold the gate, you know, the gate of India. He sold, he sold, he sold at one point, he sold the House of Parliament with the parliamentarians in it. 
So all great uh, con artists or anything have been called after him, in especially in that part of the world, Natwarlal. Okay. And the great con of Natwarlal has like three steps to it, people. Three steps, you know, this one, three steps, you know. One, step one, people, step one. Step one is the claim, the da'wah. Okay, you have to, so they have to make this, this claim, which seems like woof. Step two is they will provide you a narrative which will distract you. Allah. And with that distraction, step three, the con comes through. <laughs> so what's happening here, Sheikh Yasser Qadi, is also maybe unbeknownst to him, maybe subconsciously, he's not doing it with intention, obviously. We love Qadi Ji, Yasser Qadi Saab. Uh, but he's also doing the Natwarlal Khan. Hi, Yasser Qadi. Right, so, so what it is, is they will allude, people like Shaykh Yasser Qadi or the others, to elements that have some truth in it. So they will say things like, ah, oh, but there are many things. See, there are many things that are sometimes unfathomable, mysteries. And that's true, there are some mysteries that you know appear unfathomable or that appear very elusive and that is true and they will refer to them oh consciousness oh dark energy oh you know the unknowables or certain things that are i'm not saying consciousness is definitely unknowable but certain things oh look in the quran there's what does that mean nobody knows Ooh. And whilst they are spinning this story of the unknowables, they then smuggle through their so-called miracles. <laughs> that which is actually meant to be scientific and knowable, they smuggle them through as well. And this is the great Khan. The Natwarlal Khan is taking place, people is at play so it's very important if we just unpack this this example you see it's not first of all god is not like a mufti in this parable okay god is connecting with his creatures with his creation okay and it's not about the unknowables we're talking about things that god has asked you to do He's asked you to see Rufil Ardi Fanduru. Look, that Allah says that traverse, go through the earth and look. Fanduru, kaifa bada Allah How did Allah begin creation? Walk through the earth and discover. That's the verse of the Quran. Allah could have said, well, it was like this. But He tells you to. Uh, you know, do they not look at creation, how the camel was made, how this happened, how Allah brings life, how this, how that, how plants, plants emerge, how, you know, the barren earth comes back to life. Do they not ponder over creation? So nature is meant to be from the flammable. 
So when you're saying, oh, you're addressing certain aspects that might be mystical, that might be unknowable, you can't smuggle in the knowable. That, this one, not nice, my friend. <laughs> See, this is part of the con at play. So that would be like, you see, that that would be like in that sense if you um right sorry i was just seeing a a, a message over here right so imagine a person you, if you gave example a parable of something that is known like let's say arithmetic now you go to a teacher who's an excellent teacher but he's making mistakes in arithmetic, not in something unknown in a different science. You would say, well, actually, that's a mistake. Because you have your sound reason. It does not make the concept, it does not make this thing or make this person infallible. Now, to say God wants us to use our amazing intellects to discover, to say that, look, oh, why shouldn't we worship statues? Because it doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't add up to the voice of reason. Why should we turn away from polytheism? It doesn't add up to the voice of reason. Why should we do all of this? So Allah appeals to the voice of reason. It resonates. You turn up to God and then God's telling you to do all unreasonable things or unreasonable stories once again, just like the gods of old. And when you question it, you're told, oh, no, now you're not allowed to use reason. So this is an utter fallacy. OK, Allah, right throughout the Quran, tells us to use our aqal. Afala ta'qilun, Allah says, will you not be people who use their reason? Allah says, this has a message, li'ulil absar for people who have insight. This has a message, people of deep understanding, that do they not ponder with tafakkur, with deep thought and reflection? So Allah is inviting you to use reason. So for what crime did you kill your daughters? Exactly, that's a good example. You see, when Allah says, that and you know, uh, that you used to kill these daughters of yours. Some of the, the Arabs, not all the Arabs, but some of them used to kill their daughters at birth because they weren't, didn't want daughters. Now, Allah calls them to reasoning, but just think about it. That what did that child do? This is calling you to the voice of reason. That think about what you're actually doing. So this kind of parable, this sorry, this kind of parable and this kind of uh, uh, allegory are completely absurd. And they, to me, just reflect an insecure sentiment. People who lack confidence in God. Because to say that God wants you to be clever, but just not too clever. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the, 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 the
That's the craziest, you know, thing I've heard. That just reflects an insecure God. That just means you haven't truly discovered God. Maybe you've stumbled upon a statue. <laughs> a false God. Allah is still yet to be found. Because Allah is not insecure of your reasoning. And I tell you, Islam and faith stands the test of reason. You know, you do not need to be insecure. That, the, you know, people, this is only the institutionists, they, 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 they obviously fear this because they fear that they will lose control and the institutions will crumble. And Islam is a natural deen, a deen of fitrah, and it does stand to the voice of reason, to the test of reason. It is a faith, it is a faith, I accept that, but it is firmly rooted in reason. I hope that helps people. Right, so what else is going on? Let's. Uh, it would be nice if you could have a dialogue with Sheikh Yasser Qadi. It would be awesome. But Sheikh Yasser Qadi doesn't accept this humble dialogue. <laughs> if Sheikh Yasser Qadi, uh, if this message can reach Sheikh Yasser Qadi, Sheikh Ji, let's have a dialogue. It's good to talk. Let's discuss this. Like two civil people. Two intelligent people <laughs> seriously on a serious note i would love to have a dialogue with sheikh yasser qadi but i don't think sheikh yasser qadi would want to have a dialogue with me because it's to some of these people unfortunately they see it as a lose-lose because what if they have a dialogue with me and they may feel that what if this person you know gets the upper hand or what if this person but it's not really a, like that it's just a civil friendly conversation it's not a debate. It's just a dialogue, friendly dialogue. Friend, 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 friend. <laughs> right. So, what is going on, people? Right. So, what is going on? What is going? On? Let's t tackle some of the questions. What do we have going on? I've been, by the way, I've been really going through a lot of history recently. It's been just wow, honestly. This book has been an amazing book. It's called Arabs. The title is boring as hell. It's called Arabs, a 3000 year history. <laughs> Such a boring title, but the book, seriously, it is the second most powerful book in English that I've ever come across. It's just, wow. The author, you know, it's Tim McIntosh Smith. This guy, he does not speak. He casts a spell. His words are so. What is this sorcery? You know, this sorcery. <laughs> Honestly, I'm just mesmerized by his his style. It's so amazing. Um, I mean, it's on Audible. If you, if you're into. Right, we're live. Okay, I was just waiting for it to re reconnect. I take it we're live. Come on, you could do it. I have to be careful in case I think we're not live and I end up saying something. <laughs> right, so I'll give it just a few seconds. I think the, it says something like pork. And, oh, right, we're live now. Okay, so, all right. Yep. Sorry about that, people. This is supposed to be 200 megs I'm on. What a joke. What a joke. Ah. Huh? Just the tyranny of the institutions, people. 
the tyranny of capitalism. Uh, right, so let's take what what were we taking a look at? Right. Uh, any questions? Any interesting thoughts? What is bothering the people? What is on yours? Let me just see. Take some of these questions. I don't know, man. This is meant to be 200 meg. It's a joke. Honestly, it's a joke. I'm going to seriously. Uh, can you do wudu with soap? <laughs> can you do wudu with soap? <laughs> Just use water, goddammit. Don't stress too much. Right. And were the earliest Arabs black? Um. I mean, Arabs, you know, they, they, they were Arabs, I guess, but they would have been, Arabs were from really like the Middle East. That's where they emerged from. So they wouldn't have been black in that sense, if that's what you mean by black. If you mean skin tone, uh, I don't think they would have generally, but maybe some of them would have been darker than others. I don't know. But the interesting thing is, what does it mean to be Arab? That's an interesting topic that is actually discussed in this book as well that this arab identity is perhaps a forged identity it does not actually exist the way people think it exists that arabs really are simply arabophones that people who speak this language called arabic and that's an interesting discussion in and of itself um and really that where does where do you know, this Arabic language is truly a conquering language. It has conquered the hearts and minds of its friends and foes. Seriously. It has, you know, it has taken over and it's subsumed people into it. That they then become or assume that they are also Arabic, if you like. But uh, it's an amazing discussion in and of itself. Right. Somebody says, were uh, was Arabia dark skin? I don't think personally it was dark, dark skin like that. I don't think so. Um, that's my understanding. But I mean, the, the Arabs, in essence, it appears that they were people who emerged around the Middle East. Sorry, around what may have been uh, the Levant region today so maybe that was the origin of if we can say they have an origin but it seems to be that people who disperse from there and have some loose connection genetically they have some uh, like they share certain haplogroups from uh, in terms of genes they dispersed they lived mainly in the middle east and then they migrated to um the Arabian Peninsula. They did not emerge from the Arabian Peninsula. I think that's actually a, a, a later created myth that Arabs came from the Arabian Peninsula. And I think that the southern Arabs, the Yemenis, um, in essence, may not have been Arab. They may have been kind of related to the Middle Eastern Levant Arabs and these people, but there was a project to Arabicize everybody and bring them and so this whole thing of qahtan i think i think was made up by people um and it subsumed the southern tribes 
the ancient South Arabian tribes of Hemyar and the Christian and Jewish tribes that existed. There was mainly Christian kingdoms from way before Islam, way before hundreds and hundreds of years before Islam. And and like so you would have had the the Queen of Sheba, Saba, the Sabaeen, and the, the dam of um uh what they say of the Marib, the Marib Dam, which is mentioned, referred to, alluded to in the Quran. Th those people, I don't think that they were Arabs in the way we understand Arabs today. But later on, they were kind of brought into this identity that you too are Arabs. And they kind of just got absorbed into it. So that's my, uh, I think that. Um, and I think this whole Adnan thing was made up as well to kind of rival Qahtan. And there's a whole broad discussion about it if you look into it. Um, but yeah, so it makes much sense. Cool. What else is going on, people? What's your opinion on dating? <laughs> ah, <yeah>, Ali Muhammad. <laughs> Good to see somebody watching this has got his mind in the right place. <laughs> Dating, he's like Ali Muhammad's like, yeah, <laughs> what's going on about dating? <laughs> Allah, huh? Low, 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 <laughs> low. What happens when low when low takes over, people? <laughs> As Ghalib said, "Ishq ne nakamma kar diya." That love has rendered me useless. Varna tum bi admi te kaam ke. Allah, Allah. He said, otherwise, you too, Ghalib, had great potential. <laughs> it was just never actualized. That's all. Low, 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 low. Let, let me tell you a little story on love, people. A historic story, since we're... We've spoken a bit about history, we've spoken a bit about, and then Muhammad Ali here has brought up the topic of love. Those of you who know the Caliph, uh, see, this is what love can do to you people. This You need to <laughs> take heed. You, know? you need to tread carefully. <laughs> so there was a, an Umayyad Caliph by the name of Yazid II, not Yazid the, so the famous Yazid or the infamous Yazid is the son of Muawiyah But much after him, those of you that have heard of the Caliph uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, the great Caliph. So he reigns for about two years. Now when he's given the Caliphate, the, uh, the, uh, he's given the Caliphate, he, it is a double allegiance so Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik is the caliph before him who gives it to him but he gives it to him with the condition that after him it will go to his other brother so Suleiman's um, uh, other brother Yazid okay so and this Yazid is known as Yazid the second because you've got the first Yazid so Yazid only rules for a few years about four years approximately and then dies but he dies the death of a, a lover in torment. Oof. <laughs> so let, let me tell you what happened to Yazid the second. 
Yazid, when he wasn't the caliph, he came across uh, he came across a slave girl, a fine maiden, <laughs> as you do <laughs> in your royal pursuits. <laughs> so he came across this girl called Hab Hababa. Some people say it's Hababa, but I think the actual thing was Hababa. Now, he, he came across Hababa and he was infatuated. Allah, as beauty, you know, as it cruelly does to the feeble hearts of men. <laughs> so Yazid became infatuated with this slave girl. So he gets her. He, 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 gets her. he obtains her. She comes to his place. But he's just one of the princes at that point. So the caliph at the time was his elder brother, Suleiman. And Suleiman was a bit of a, uh, a bit religious and a bit kind of like strict. So you get now and then you'll get a strict ruler. So prior to him, Walid, I think, was, uh, wasn't really on it like that. I think it was even involved in some interesting affairs. But Suleiman was quite strict. And he doesn't rule that long, but he saw that Yazid was getting uh, distracted by beauty. <laughs> so he got the, this girl and he, he got rid of her. I mean, he didn't harm her. He just set her free and said, you, off you go. Get out of here. You're... And he told Yazid off that you, you can't kind of cut off with. She, this one, too distracting, you know. <laughs> So Yazid II, anyway, he gets on with life. Now, as, as events turn out, as time unfolds, he becomes the caliph after Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. And things are going smooth. And he's got his palaces and he's got life. And he's just chilling. Woof! Life! Living life. He's like, I'm the caliph. <laughs> he's rocking it. So one day he's he's asked by somebody and some stories say it was actually his wife, one of his wives that asked him that, you know, you have everything in this world. Is there anything? Is there any desire unfulfilled in your heart? God, if only women still ask these questions today. <laughs> say, funny, you should ask that. I actually wrote a book. It's it's only 20 volumes long. <laughs> so she says that, is there any desire that is still unfulfilled? Because you've got it all. Palace, this, that, kingdom. And he says, oh, Hababa. Allah, 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 Allah. 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 Ishkamina, Ishkamina. This is the, you see, so he says, Hababa. So she realizes, okay. And out of sacrificial love, she gets hold, tracks down Hababa and brings her. Surprisingly, <laughs> women, obviously, that, that would not happen in a 21st century scenario. The 21st century version of that story would have been that and he was found dead in his bed in the morning. <laughs> it appeared that he'd slit his own throat. Duh. <laughs> right, so this 
Yes, so she, this wife of his, brings him hababa. So she says to him at one point, she says, well, um, she, she asks him again after a while. She says, you know, I asked you before, is there any desire that you still have? And he says, oh, you asked me this previously and I told you, hababa. And she says, aha. And from behind the veil emerges, the epitome of sublime beauty in the person of Hababa. Hababa is there. So Yazid II is, he's flying, he's floating. He's in cloud nine. He's off. He's living it. He can't believe it. Oh my God. He's so, he's so, he's over the moon. <laughs> this guy's like, there's all that Bollywood background music has come on. <laughs> so this guy is having so he's now in a living paradise he's with Hababa he's having the time of his life he's spending time with her and then he decides you know he's got a palace like a, a seclusion palace where they go off uh, for, for like you know like holidays brief holidays and things so he says I'm going to take Hababa with me to the palace and we're just going to chill there we're going to have the time of our life. We're not to be disturbed. Not to be disturbed, people. <laughs> do, 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 do not disturb. Do not disturb. So, so whilst he's chilling with Hababa in this palace, having the time of his life, it says that he contemplated that somebody said that can there ever be a day in a person's life which is totally total bliss can that even happen and it is said that Yazid II pondered over that and thought duh this is total bliss in the arms of Hababa <laughs> Hababa ji Hababa ji so they're chilling and they're eating all these kind of exotic fruits and they have pomegranates and things like this whilst they're doing that she choked on a seed <laughs> Not a metaphor here. <laughs> you, 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 Haramis. <laughs> On a pomegranate seed. <laughs> See, this is the kind of crowd I get. <laughs> you filthy-minded people. She chokes on a pomegranate seed. I'm not exactly sure. They say it kind of tears her, but I don't think you could tear an actual... Could you? Or so unless it blocked the trachea or something, I don't know. But she actually chokes and dies. She dies, people. <laughs> these these games not nice, you know. <laughs> this one it's one tragedy. So she actually dies, and Yazid the second is so shocked, dismayed with in disbelief that he refuses for anybody to remove her body so her body is in the royal chambers and they say he would just embrace her hug her kiss her after her death for days on end weeks until the body began to decompose and it had an obscene odor to it and smell that the other people said to him you need to get a grip of yourself and you need to let us bury the body and they say they buried it and he went and 
dug it up again and embraced it and hugged it and he just would this guy was broken and it was only a matter of maybe two weeks after that maybe three four at most and within days Yazid II died out of loneliness that is a tragedy people this is what love can do so beware people beware many an example has passed for you in history ishq kamina ishq kamina <laughs> tragic of 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 very 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 tragic but but i suppose the connection people have sometimes it can be that powerful but this was a king a ruler a dynast who was not only brought to his knees but he himself died because he lost hababa who he was deeply in love with wa inna fi dhalika la'ibra allah and as it said wa min al-hubbi ma qatal allah 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 as it said in in arabic that this and from love that which kills oof, 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 oof. Oh! all right people let's refocus <laughs> let's bring ourselves back right so it's getting late let's take a, a look at he died from heartbreak he did he did tragic tragic i thought i'd share that interesting story with you so that's uh Yazid the second the son of Abdul Malik who ruled i think from 101 Hijri to about 105 or something right so <clears throat> somebody said wasn't that the who slaughtered imam hussein no that's yazid the first this is yazid the second um there is then a yazid the third as well who comes afterwards right so right let's focus people okay let's take a look now at asadullah al-andalusi and just have a quick discussion on this right what's going on just to bring you guys up to speed so i'd recently had a dialogue with some ex-muslims and because the dialogues were quite friendly but they were quite intense they were quite deep i mean one was with haris sultan it's in urdu it spanned several hours about four hours long the other was with abdullah gondal in english both are on youtube and that was for about i, I think over two hours as well and so but they were respectful they were civil they were kind of friendly but they weren't uh i mean they were very like i obviously had my position my angle and they had this and and it you know we i suppose our views were at loggerheads but we weren't as people like i wasn't kind of hostile to them and they weren't hostile to me and and you know and i and i and i said that i i hope we can build bridges with ex-muslims or anybody who has issues with islam whether you look whether you accept the faith or don't we are human beings first and foremost and we should be able to at least talk and discuss and and have a human connection you know think about it those people who embraced islam in the early 
stage of Islam. They weren't Muslim, but it was because of that human connection that they connected. So, so I said this, and some people obviously took offense. Amongst them was Asadullah. This uh, his name is oh he goes by the name Asadullah Andalusi. Now he made a post saying, look, some people are trying to say we should build bridges with ex-Muslims and so on and so forth. And let it me let it be, you know, let it, let me be clear. He, this is him that there's no way on earth I'll ever be friends with these people. They hate Allah. They hate, you know, his prophet. And I can never be friends with somebody that's like an act of betrayal and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so basically, I don't build bridges, I build walls. <laughs> and I kind of circle myself in until we're so secluded that we just diminish. <laughs> so now <clears throat> I responded by saying, look, I strongly disagree. I do accept that there are some people who are Islamophobes. There are some people who just hate on everything. They will hate religions, faiths, no matter what. There are bigots out there, unfortunately. I do accept that. That said, I feel that there are many people out there who are ex-Muslims, who are, maybe they appear, they do criticize Islam. But I said, is that not our own fault that we present certain things? So he had said in his initial post, they call our prophet a pedophile. I said in my comment, look, you can't teach people that the prophet married a six-year-old and then say, when they say, oh, but that's pedophilia, you you throw a fuss and say, oh my God, oh my, you're not allowed to go. Sorry, I meant nine. Like that makes it any better. <laughs> like that, does, that doesn't change anything. So, and then you get all offended that they say, yeah, but that's pedophilia. And you say, no, 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 it's not pedophilia here. It's pedophilia everywhere else, but not here. And you think, well, no, that would be pedophilia because so so these people then get. So I said, look, who's to blame? Because it's not even true. This story is not true that Aisha was six years old or seven or nine. This is nonsensical. This story is misrelated. It is wrong. Right. And I've got a detailed video explaining that she was in her late teens. A specific age, we don't know because the Arabs weren't too accurate at documenting ages, but she would have been anything. It comes as anything between 17 to 19. It comes as some people say maybe up to 20. But that's based on all the evidences, based on all the hadith evidences in Bukhari and other things. Her being around from a certain time, Aisha being older than her elder sister, her elder sister's age was so much. Uh, herself being allowed to go to the battlefield when Umar, Ibn Umar, the son of Umar, wasn't allowed and he was 14. So she must have been much older than that. And so all these kind of, there's a lot of, and her saying that, oh, I remember when such a surah was revealed and it was revealed years before the Hijrah, a Makki surah. She says, I used to be a young girl who could reason and understand things. And I remember that surah. And Jaria is usually a young girl. Not like, a, I don't mean young like as a, as a kid. It's usually anything you could say. And this is when that surah was revealed, which was years before the hijrah even took place. And she speaks about a particular verse. She says, and you, you might say that, uh, that jariah is often anything, let's say, between 8 to early teens or at least 8 to 12. 
you would have they would call that a jariya at least uh now if she was that at that age then years later when the hijra takes place how old would have been the fact that she was already engaged when the proposal came according to this story because she was engaged for about 3 years to uh, Jubair ibn Mutta and now according to this story she, what she would have been engaged if she was 2 years old or 3 that's ridiculous and so this whole thing nevertheless i said look you can't be promoting you it is irresponsible of you to be promoting as a muslim that the prophet married a child age 6 and then get all worked up when people call that pedophilia because you are to blame first of all it's false but why are you promoting this nonsense so he then responded to me uh asadullah by saying real scholarly research shows that you're wrong that i'm wrong and aisha radhiyallahu anha was just a little girl was like 6 so i said <laughs> i said gee <laughs> i said look escúchame hermano that if you when you're saying this are you simply blind following or is this your research as well because if this is your research and you're not blind following then bring me the solid undisputable chains of hadith that prove this bring them to me i will show you how each and every one of these chains that you bring is massively flawed it is unacceptable they have criticism you base you're trying to this you're stating this as a fact based on so many problematic narrations now you might say oh i blind follow such and such sheikh said the hadith is okay oh so you're blind following fine if you're blind following then don't raise your voice you're just a blind follower you know you can continue this kind of advocacy right I was just waiting for that to reconnect. So these people feel that just so they can preserve the sanctity of Bukhari, it's okay to throw the honor of the Prophet under the bus, and that is utterly unacceptable. Bring me these damn chains that prove that Aisha was, and I want something that cannot be criticized. Which which chains can you bring? Which chains can you bring? based on hisham who imam malik used to accept from him based on amash i'll tell you who, they don't even i'll tell you who they rest on they rest on amash uh, hisham they rest on zuhri coming from ma'mar they rest on abu ishaq as-sabi'i all of these are flawed major mudallisin abu ishaq as-sabi'i amash major mudallisin they blagged so many riwayat they used to pretend they heard them ah pretend you heard them <laughs> acha cha 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 <laughs> let's pretend look they may have been good people they may have had some reasons for why they did things but 
let's speak facts. Amash, Abu Ishaq al Sabi'i, right? Zuhri. <laughs> Bring me your chains. Let's talk hadith. You want to talk? You want to talk hadith? Let's talk hadith. The truth is, these people haven't even studied hadith. They can't bring me any chains. Bring them. Jab Whenever they want, bring them. Let's talk, talk, talk. I will rip these chains into pieces that they bring. They can't lie. They can't black. These chains, just because I know why they're doing it, because they, they, their allegiance to their sect, their allegiance to, they can't question the sanctity of a book called Sahih Bukhari, right? So they can question the integrity of the Prophet. It's ridiculous. And all of these narrations just come from, uh, you've got, they, they just come from Urwa. That's it really, the, the nephew of Aisha radiallahu anha. And they are either made up or these pro somebody's misheard them or that this was a false narrative that was then spread. And the reason being is because, yes, it is true that some people, some elements in early Islam, uh, in the early first century of Islam, did uh, have issues with the wives of the Prophet. And some of them fabricated stories against the wives of the Prophet, especially Aisha. And they said things like she had had affairs with men and things like this. And, you know, well, Ayyadu Billah, Allah exonerates her in the Quran. But still, people had issues with Aisha and they made up these stories. And so it's very likely if this, if they can trace this back to Urwa, that Urwa may have said something like this to push her age back just so it comes across, no, no, she obviously she was way too young to have been with other men and things like this. That's a possibility. But they cannot prove these chains to begin with. Okay. And then the other thing is that these people have a conflict of interest. They use these hadith to justify their own marriages to little children. Because they say, well, Aisha was only nine. And that's the truth. That's the God's honest truth. Many of them have done that. And maybe they don't, I'm not saying they all do that today, but that they use it as a justification. And it's nonsense. It's nonsense, utter nonsense. Okay. So I did say, you know, to um, Asadullah al-Andalusi, and, and I, he was referring to Yaqeen Institute. And I say to them as well that, look, uh, if this is what you're promoting, you need to seriously revisit yourself. Okay. Because first of all, these people haven't even studied Islam like that. These people, you know, these, these kind of institutes, they're good for social work. They do, I respect Sheikh Omar Suleiman in all the great social justice thing he does. And he goes out on protests, he leads protests, he rallies the cries of people being discriminated against, against black people suffering, against uh, Latin American people suffering, the, the Native uh, Americans in their rights. And, and, and I highly, I applaud that. I think that's amazing what he does. But the truth is, these people haven't really studied Islam to that depth. You know, they, they get the title sheikh and stuff like this. 
they haven't really like they haven't studied the books like Bukhari, Muslim, things like this. They've never really been through a formal institute of, of learning. They've not really qualified in any Islamic way. They just give nice sermons and preach and and they're intelligent people. I'm not saying they're not intelligent. And then they get given a pedestal. And then now, because they've been put there by the institution, by the clergy, they back and they have to then cement the institution. And most of these people were at one point anyway, very Wahhabi inclined. I don't know about today. Maybe they slightly distance themselves today from the, the kind of, but they still, that is their origin. That is where the, the kind of views that the, these people kind of learnt initially about Islam. And even this Asadullah Andalusi, he has had some ridiculous views on how you should kill ex-Muslims and apostates. And he had this channel called Dawa Films and the ludicrous stuff, the nutcase things that, that, that were being said. I think he, he's turned away from that. And it was a proper, it was just basically like the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> what was this about? Yeah, this is another problem with sometimes converts. And I'm not pro problematizing converts. I mean, many people who embrace Islam, it's a magnificent look. You guys take a step, which I think seldom, like I, 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 I don't think many Muslims would take that step if they were to exchange places. So I applaud that. I think it's amazing. And some of them have gone out to study Islam deeply and they've made great profound changes within Muslim societies and touched the hearts of men like Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, who many of us are highly indebted to. There's other great people, Sheikh Noor, other great uh, uh, you know, people they've converted to Islam. They've done, uh, you know, studied so much and done things and made great kind of uh, pathways. But then you get some people who they become very passionate about Islam because they've embraced it, maybe because their background was very turbulent and they needed a cause. And now they find a cause, which is now, oh, I found a new religion. <laughs> and then no sooner do they embrace it, they start teaching it to us. <laughs> Uh, you know, what does that poet say? He says, Manzil pe na ponche use rasta nahi kehte. Do char kadam chalne ko chalna nahi kehte. You know, this, 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 um, the path that doesn't lead to a destination, this, this route is not called a path. And by taking simply two or three baby steps, you have not accomplished a journey. You understand? एक हम हैं जो कहते हैं गैरों को भी अपना एक तुम हो जो अपनों को भी अपना नहीं कहते यू नो वी दैट दिस वी एम्ब्रेस इवन दोस हु आर नॉट पार्ट ऑफ अस एंड यू डोंट इवन एम्ब्रेस दोस हु आर अस यू नो इट्स सो इट्स सो ट्रू यू नो एंड एंड it's an amazing poem that manak what do you say manak e mia hum to buron se bhi bure hain he says manak e mia hum to buron se bhi bure hain kuch log to achhon ko bhi acha nahi kehte you know it's true that okay we may be so uh 
really bad and wretched. And I'm not saying I'm a good person. I've never made a claim of piety. But there are some who, even if they, even if there were good people out there, they won't call them good. Manzil pe na pounche, usse rasta nahi kehte. Do char kadam chalne ko chalna nahi kehte. You know, this, it's great that you've embraced Islam and done this, but, you know, as Allah says in the Quran, yamunnuna alayka and aslam. Ehsan karte. They do you a favor that they become Muslim. You know, so this, I, it, it bothers me sometimes when I see, and it's not, to be fair, it's not just exclusive to uh, people who embrace this. Unfortunately, many Muslims as well <laughs> who tread this wretched path. But uh, my point of saying this is, look, this is a journey. Islam is about humanity, not about boxing other people off. If people have a hatred for you, meet, meet it with love. You understand? See, that is how Islam actually was spread in the early time. If somebody hates on your prophet, question first of all, where did he get that story from? Because he never met the prophet, neither did I. So did he just make that story up? If he did, inform him that that didn't even happen. Did he get it from us? Then we need to sit ourselves down and question, what are we doing? Have we betrayed the Prophet? Why are we forwarding stories like this? So don't, you know, and if, if somebody to me, if somebody says to me, I hate Allah, I hate God, you know, <laughs> you know, the thing is, look, if you hate God, it doesn't hurt God. It's fine. Like, I don't, God doesn't need me to hate you. <laughs> this is not, that's a personal journey you need to take. You are still a human being. You are still God's creation. You know, I don't need to kill you. I don't need to attack you or unleash, I don't know, a, a, a tsunami of abuse against you. So you hate God even more. So I just prove your point that religion is bigotry. Religion is hatred. Religion is this. Why should I prove that point? I can extend a hand of humanity, a bridge of compassion. So let us at least be human beings on that human connection. Let us connect. I can still be friends with you. I can still, you know, all these people who hate, not there are some people, unfortunately, who are just bigots. They will hate anything. You know, it could be a beautiful picture of something and they'll just, oh, it's, it's wretched because that's the wretchedness within them that they. Right. OK, it's live. I'm not saying this to I, look, I I'm not saying to ex-Muslims or atheists that you should become Muslim. I've never said that. OK. But the truth is, many of these people are simply hurting. Okay, they, you know, they they wanted so much, which from faith, which really was there, but they couldn't reach it. Maybe because some people became wall be, between them and the faith. So, 
I feel that if anything, if you if you, if you can try to understand them, their suffering, why do they have these issues with God? At the very least, just extend a a hand of humanity. You can be friends. You can be a decent human being. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to kind of abuse them. You don't have to kind of say, oh, in an ideal Islamic state, I would kill. <laughs> in an ideal Islamic state, I would kill you. What kind of nonsense is that? Of course. And then you expect them to. to <laughs> then you expect them to love you. Of course not. So, ah, well, people, I hope that, um, I hope, that, you know, these words find, you know, some that they, that you, that you can res, that they resonate with you, that you find some understanding and comprehension in them, inshallah. Guys, let's wrap it up. It's been, uh, it's getting late over here. The internet's been intermittent today. I apologize for that. Shukran for hacking it out, for hanging it, <laughs> bearing it with me. Uh, inshallah, till next week, take very good care of yourselves. If you want to reach out to me, reach out to me. Any message, Facebook, Instagram. If you do reach out to me on Facebook, uh, it's better. Facebook Messenger is better. But still, either way. Guys, inshallah, till next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.